0: good morning again. I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at scripture together. One of the main goals of this time of year is to ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? Perhaps more pointedly, what are we hoping for? If God answered our prayers, if indeed or because indeed God is with us, what difference does it make? Perhaps another way to frame this would be to say, as we approach Christmas time, one of the things that the church should be asking itself, and perhaps the world is looking in and asking as well, is just how audacious can our hopes get when we ask the question, what are we waiting for? Maybe more than that, what are we hoping for? One of the good things to do, a good way to interpret or to think about Scripture is to look back in Scripture. One way to identify and say, who are we and what are we supposed to be about is to look back and say, well, what have God's people been about? What have they been hoping for? What have they been seeing and looking at? And what we find Here in 2021, as we as God's people are asking the question, what are we waiting for? What are we hoping for? One of the things that we find is that we can look back and find friends. We can see that we're not that much different than the people of God have been down through the ages. That in fact, the scriptures are one story beginning to end. That there has been one line of audacious, bold hope that cuts through all of history, and every single sense of longing, and every single sense of discouragement and suffering and pain, every time that death crept in, there has been a message, a consistent message that God can, that he will, that he's promised, and has in history, he's moved to allow us to be, to beckon us to be alive To hope that waiting doesn't have to just be an impatient tapping of the foot. But it can be a warming, comforting, bold hope. The main place that we hope to this month consider that. How are you like the people of God have always been? How can we be like them? How can we be counted among the faithful down through the ages? One One of of the main main ways that that we've been been considering this Because we're going to spend this entire month looking at different passages in Isaiah.
1: So I said turn to Isaiah 9, and if you were here last week, or you've been sort of tuning in, you realize that last week,
0: Pastor Brian said, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to continue to look through what was the hope of Isaiah? What was he giving to the people there? What were they waiting for?
1: And my desire would be that as we read
0: this passage, as we read passages through this book, that we'll start to see ourselves in its pages and that you will be able to answer the question a little more firmly, what am I waiting for? And what am I hoping for? So, All that being said, I'm going to start reading in the first verse of Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to go down through verse 7. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." you've not remained hidden or far off, you are as much here now with us as you have ever been with your people. And God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see in the pages in the words of Isaiah relevance, nowness, a kind of real for us hope that burns down through the ages i pray god that we could be faithful to not use advent or the idea of advent as a sort of impatient waiting a complaining a grumbling but that you would stir in us the longing of your people God, help us to be those who have a sturdy hope, who have joy at what you've already accomplished and done and what you have promised. God, I ask that to make that happen, that you would send your spirit, you're our father, you love us as your children, you give good gifts. So Father, now, send your spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, come, cut through our distractions, our doubts, all of the ways that we're just maybe too dull to get it. Holy Spirit, make us alive. I pray, God, that I could be an encouragement. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to meet all of the different ways, the paths that you've brought people to be with us here on this day that you've ordained. You've set it in motion. I believe you have good things for us. So speak and Spirit seal Jesus, lead us, we pray in your name. Amen. One of the things that Israel had to come to grips with again and again and again and again is that they were in fact waiting for something. You know, and there's something in that that ignites a burning or a longing. When you say you're waiting for something, it is isn't explicit acknowledgement of something that you've perhaps felt and that is is that I am lacking things aren't going the way that they should and so if I'm going to think about this passage or or set up a hope in a way that could be understandable to us I want to think about a few different words the first one is lack and that's a, a kind of an innocuous sort of diplomatic way to describe I think what our real situation is but I'm just going to use the word lack for now Secondarily, I want to describe the promise of God, God's activity. So maybe the second word would be promise. And then finally, a word hope. Simple words to frame Advent for us lack, promise, and hope. The first one is to acknowledge that Christianity, especially as we approach Christmas, is not closing our eyes, fingers in our ears, acting as though everything is fine. Because the idea of waiting or advent, as it's been down through history, admits something I am lacking. Advertisers know this. When you get bombarded with advertisements, the thing that is most valuable to create in someone is a sense of, I have something missing. I need this men's shave club. My, the stubble on my face has been scratching my wife for weeks and months, and she. Hates it? I need this. Or some child watching a commercial. They had a perfectly happy life, and then someone showed them Elmo, who laughs when you tickle him, and they say to themselves, I have been waiting my whole life and don't have this. Those are perhaps... Fun reasons to think about waiting, and advertisers know the most valuable thing you can do is to get someone to admit that they have a lack. Sometimes, though, the realities of life don't take an advertiser to point out to us. And in our most honest moments, we feel lack creeping in all over the place. You have been bombarded with stress at work and in life and in marriage and in friendship. And everywhere you turn, you think to yourself something like this. I can imagine a person who would handle this well, but I'm not them. I lack the wisdom that I need. I lack the words that I need. I lack the strength that I need. I am bound up in my emotions in a way that I can't escape. I simply lack. And And many many of us live live... Huge chunks of our life, feeling a kind of measuring stick next to us with a big flashing light that says, lack. And even if it's not as therapeutic or as personal as that, I mean, you're getting really honest if you're admitting that to people. All you have to do is look around the world and you can see the lack. It's a lack of resources, there's a lack of justice, it's a lack of wisdom. There's a lack of holiness. Our situations are not the way that we would desire them to be. God has designed us to hope. He's designed us to believe that there is something better. He's designed us to want. And yet we're living in this world where it's not going the way that it should. And it turns out that Israel had that experience over and over and over again. So the hope on a morning like this would be to Help us to realize and to see that we're not that much different than God's people have always been. Isaiah chapter 9 is wonderful. I don't know how you feel in reading some of Isaiah 9, but I, I feel like I want to get my stomping on a little bit. Have you ever been in something and you feel like it's really kind of... I mean, like by the time I am getting some of these verses of the increase of his government, is peace, there will be... I mean, I want to be like a, a guy that I saw in Arkansas preach sometimes who would sort of stomp around... He would get so into it, he would ask the congregation for a moment. Now the increase of his government, hold me a minute. Amen. That's what he'd say. Or he'd say, hallelujah. Like, I read these passages and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think yes, and I'm longing for something. But that's not where Isaiah 9 starts. Look at the words that start the chapter. There will be no gloom. You know what? No gloom comes on the heels of gloom. And that gloom won't be for the person who is in anguish. How about these words to jumpstart your Christmas? Gloomy anguish. In former time, he brought them into contempt. What is being described here, the thing that prepares a people for the hope that God wants to give them is an admission of lack It's not going to be on the screens, but the end of chapter 8 is even worse. This is what Isaiah says is going to happen to God's people. They're going to pass through the land. They'll be greatly distressed, hungry, enraged, speaking contemptuously against their king and their God. They look to the earth, but only distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, thrust into thick darkness. You see, the first step toward hope the first step toward joy the first step toward what god has done for us and will do for us in christ is not to pretend everything's okay but to admit that there is lack and so christmas time maybe this time of year one of the things that i would hope one of the things that i would desire is for us to be the kind of people who say we are not pretending we're going to bring our whole selves all of the difficulties of the world. And here's what we're gonna do we're gonna take God at His word and we're gonna we're gonna run to Him with lack. The Spirit of Christmas starts with you stop stopping pretending that you have it all together or that things don't bother you, or that the world is okay. It is in many ways definitively not okay. That's why we wait. And in this day and age, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are waiting. They are experiencing difficulty. Things are not going well. They have corrupt leadership. They have enemies that are pressing in. Brian did a wonderful job last week trying to describe the way that the history of Israel is unfolding. Maybe this would help you because it helps me. One of the hard things about reading the Old Testament, can I admit that? I'm going to keep my job as a pastor. One of the hard things about reading the Old Testament is that you can read through it and you think to yourself, this doesn't make any sense chronologically. You know, in the first part of the Old Testament, there's all the history books, 1st and Second Samuel, First and 2nd Kings that our youth is going through. And it helped me one day when someone pointed out to me, they said, you know, here's the thing, it doesn't just start at a story and go chronologically through. All the prophets in the second half of the Old Testament, imagine the second half of the Old Testament flipped up back on top of the history of Israel. So these prophets are superimposed over the top. I'm going to set a scene for you imagine someone is writing is is directing a movie about the history of the corrupt kings of israel so they go in and they focus on you know maybe ahaz has his part in this movie of the series of kings and that's who is in isaiah 7 spoken to so there here's the scene ahaz is walking down the street he's with his advisors he's getting counsel he's thinking about the future he's talking about the economy and about the assyrians and all these people And then as they walk down the street in the background, there's a kind of weird looking guy speaking prophecies. And if you're careful, when you walk by, you'll see Isaiah standing on the same street at the same time, describing and telling them what God is doing in the midst of their real history. Now, you may not have catched it at first. You might have to rewind it. Somebody sits up and rewind that. Was that Isaiah? and you go back and you grainy it in, and you, you say, zoom in on that. The point is, is that these prophets are very much attached to what's happening in real time to Israel. They're not some sort of separate story. And I don't know about you, but for a long time, it's difficult for me, a long time, it was difficult for me because I'm reading these, and they just seem totally detached, like like ethereal sort of bits of proverbial wisdom floating in the world somewhere. Now, Isaiah is there on the streets. He's speaking to people who feel and know their lack. They are not making it. Everything that was promised to them was not coming true. And those people, when they heard the words from Isaiah, they perked up in the midst of their lack to a promise. They perked up to one of the most profound words in the Bible everywhere, You see the word but, get excited. Nine, verse one, but there will be no gloom. So often in the midst of people admitting their lack, God is poised. He's ready. He's like a spring trap. God desiring mercy for those who admit their need and lack. He loves to rush to the aid with promises of those who have finally given up. I know it sounds funny to say, come to God. He's amazing. He's like a mousetrap. But that's legitimately what he's like with mercy and action and promise for those who would come to him. And in the midst of their need, Isaiah says, look, I'm going to tell you like it is. You got a lot of lack around here, Israel. And then there's these moments down in where we see God's heart just beating and bleeding through. But there will be no gloom. And God has promised that even in the midst of their lack, That they should wait for something. Because one day in the midst of darkness, great light will come. One day right where they live, those who are dwelling in a land of darkness, light will shine. I love this picture. It's not as though he says, look, we got to get you out of here. Just escape the world. Just escape your circumstances. No, right in the midst of your deepest moment of darkness, light shines. It illumines the whole thing. Yes, exactly where you are, God promises to meet you. And it's this imagery, this idea of darkness being met with light, sorrow being moved to joy, increased joy, rejoicing. Joy is at the harvest. Verse 4 of chapter 9 says that God's promise is that in the midst of defeat, he's going to bring victory. You were the Detroit Lions and now you're the Patriots, he says. Right in the midst of you know, the lions are still defeated, I think. Are they going to do this again? The point is, God promises right in the midst of the worst of moments. Oh, you have darkness, light. You have sadness and anguish, gloom, joy, increased rejoicing. You have lack and no resources, harvest time. You have enemies pressing in and difficulties, and you're losing in battle, victory, rod staff yoke broken He brings up the day of midian when gideon with very little god delivers victory to him so one of the things that we need to do first and foremost admit our lack you're going to get nowhere at christmas time pretending everything's okay but you're also going to wallow forever at Christmas time if you don't see that God has made astounding promises. That He is ready for you in the moment of your lack. He is ready to move toward you. And He has promised things that most of us would, would say kind of feel outlandish, like, oh, come on. But God is a God who promises and always has been. So we're like Israel in the sense that we experience lack, and we're like Israel in the sense that we serve the same God who has been the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same God who loves to make promises and will bring light into darkness. So the third way that we're like God's people and always have been is that God makes this promise to us promise of hope in the form of a person. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And Israel thought to themselves, In the line of David, somehow on the throne we will have a ruler, finally have a king, someone who will bring an end, someone who will embody and give us hope. Now, this kind of wording, this kind of language is jumped on immediately by those who saw Jesus who, for who he was in the New Testament. You see language like this, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given, being pulled forward into the narratives concerning Jesus' birth. You know, it's, I mean, maybe this is the first time you're hearing any of this. If, if so, welcome. But it's not like I can build up to, this, to the spoiler, right? It's not like we're reading Isaiah, Isaiah 9 and then we go to the New Testament and get this, a child was born. Did you know that there's a birth that happens at Christmas? I know you know this, but maybe you've lost the hope of it. Maybe you haven't identified the way that the people in the, the New Testament who were welcoming after 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting, of considering lack in the promise of God, lack Promise of God, lack promise of God, continually living in the tension of those two things, and then a child is born. And they exclaim and they cry out and they say, Hope has come, he's here, he's a person. Matthew chapter 4. John the Baptist had been arrested when I read for you the way that the new testament frames this where Matthew shows us and wants us to see in the person of Jesus the hope of Isaiah Matthew chapter 4 starting in verse 12 it says now when he heard that John had been arrested he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali I'll just pause there do you remember those words it's another thing that's hard about the old testament If I said to you, in the region of Kalarn Lakes and Perry, you're tracking. Many of you haven't been to Zebulun lately, so it's harder. But these are the places, the actual ground, the land where hope was supposed to spring up for these people who were in gloom. And so Matthew is pulling all the way back to Isaiah 9. And he says that Jesus went out to these territories, Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus tells them that a kingdom is coming that they should repent. He says, I am here. I am a child who's been born, a son who has been given. I'm fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. I am the embodiment of hope. And for all of those, like those in Israel, who are living between their lack and God's promise, hope has come. He's welcoming us. Listen to him. He says, a kingdom is at hand. There's a passage in the beginning of Luke's gospel that reflects on this idea that it wouldn't just be that jesus would come and he would live and die for sins but he would rule he would reign he would have this kind of influence in the world a kingdom that would come which is what jesus preached and so we get in luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 gabriel now this is the word of an angel it's as good as it gets says that he jesus this son that will be given this is in the moment of his description his conversation with virgin mary it says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom note gabriel's words i don't know if he'd been waiting forever to pull this out maybe isaiah was his idol he's like oh i grew up listening to you you know he's so excited and he pulls it out what does he say at the end to Mary, he says, this child, this son that was born, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, so what, what do we, we have in Jesus? Jesus? What, what hope, hope do we, we have? What are you waiting for? What, what are, are you, you hoping, hoping for? for? Well, I would say to you, what are you, you are waiting for and what you're hoping for is nothing less than than the, the redemption. redemption of all things nothing less than every war being ended forever nothing less than all gloom and anguish gone and not remembered any longer nothing less than hope itself having indwelt the world and coming back again to take over all things to rule and reign forever what are you waiting for what are you hoping for a glorious endless, wonderful, counselor-filled, prince of peace-filled kingdom. I'm not sure that we can make too much of this. You guys talk about this every year. You haven't let go of the Christmas thing yet? Oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you about the hope that we have in him. It's audacious, it's bold, it's never-ending, it reaches every part of all of humanity. There is no one who will be untouched by the rule and the reign of Jesus. I can bring out some wreaths for that. I can sing some carols for that. I can give generously to needy for that. We can put on our Sunday best for that. So this Advent we want to line up and to be as God's people have always been that is is that we admit that we are not fully yet we don't fully yet have what we were designed for so there is a lack that is obvious we admit that we feel that we come here on Sundays we look at one another and we say pray for me let's pray together it's what God's people have always done But like God's people, the thing that kept them going is they rehearsed the promises. They had people like Isaiah standing on the street corner while all of the activities of real life were going by, crying out, saying, let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you what God promises to do. So this Christmas, this Advent, we will be like God's people have always been, not only admitting lack, but rehearsing the promises of God. And then finally... We will be like God's people have always been. Believing that one day all the promises of God will come to fruition because a child has been given. Because a son will be given. And we can't be quiet about this. It changes everything. Well, for how long does it change everything? Forever. Hope has come. And hope will come again. That is what Advent is all about. I think it's what the spirit of Isaiah is crying out. And my hope would be, and I want to pray with you now, my hope would be that the spirit of God would bind us together so that we feel not alone, that we feel not only our lack, but we hear the promises of God and that we find ourselves growing in hope. Let's pray. God, I ask you that this Christmas would be one of hope. Let's not, God, help us to not stop at any of these points along the way. We certainly don't want to only feel lack. And God, I pray for all of the lack in this room. The stress, the lack of affection, of love, the, the feelings of not measuring up all of our committed and omitted sins, all the things that are evident that we talk about all the time and all the things that are so hidden, we've never even admitted them to ourselves. God, help us to not be stuck in lack, but to bring it to you. I pray that this Christmas would be one, this Advent season would be one of honesty. God, I pray as well that we wouldn't only speak of or say the promises of God, but we'd experience them. Help us to not just go through the motions. I pray that the carols and the songs and the prayers and the red and the green and the presence, that it would not be mere rituals. God, speak your promises, but I pray that it would lead us to hope. We thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you for his coming reign and his present reign in our lives. Help us to be those who are not overwhelmed or overcome. But that when someone asks us, well, what are you waiting for? You're practicing Advent. What are you waiting for? That we would have a sturdy, a strong and consistent message of hope in Christ. We pray in his name.